0: Jays Journal Podcast. I'm your host as always, Ari Shapiro, joining you in the second half of the Major League Baseball season as we take a closer look at all things Toronto Blue Jays, the passion, the fire, why you love this team. Some would ask why indeed and scratch their heads. That was a first half of the season worth forgetting. One in which I interviewed a great number of people who all came back and said the same thing. It's bad, it's probably going to get worse, but you're going to stay hopeful. You're going to believe in tomorrow. And that's what I'm here to do, is to help you look forward to the days that come, hopeful that this management group can turn things around and find a way to give us a baseball product, a listening, a, a viewing experience that just knocks our socks off, because we'd like them to be knocked off. I mean, I'm sure I don't need to elaborate on how frustrating certain components of the first half were. How certain players who have continued to underachieve while injuries mount and pile up relentlessly and all sorts of controversies rear their ugly heads. The big ones, the small ones... You know, the Blue Jays have really become the kind of organization that's found itself suffering a kind of blitzkrieg of really unfortunate circumstances some that they themselves were responsible for, and others which are simply the result of karma, which is what happens when you don't do things the way they should be done in the game of baseball. You know me, listeners, I can get very superstitious when it comes to these baseball gods, and in an era where all we want to do is talk baseball analytics and sabermetrics and punditry based on projections that we crunch at home, through weighted runs created or balls put into play or exit velocity or some of the most newfangled perspectives of the game you can find. At the end of the day, there's the all too familiar proverbial smell test that moment where you look at things with your own eyes and realize what they are for what they really are. And that's why this show has a number of guests that I think are perfectly suited. For giving us a better perspective of things the way they really are. And it's my pleasure first to have a guest that I've been meaning to have on the show for a while and finally we're able to connect with. She's a marketing professional and a former digital marketing manager with the Toronto Blue Jays. You could say she knows a little something about connecting with the fans. April Weitzman is here to talk to me about how the Blue Jays could possibly connect with their fans and maybe win some hearts back after what was such a difficult first half. Then, if that's not enough to wet your palate and get you thinking twice about the way things are and how they should be, we've got a new segment on the show I like to call Five Minutes with Falbo. That's right, Five Minutes with Jeff Falbo, a brilliant baseball mind and writer who was formerly with deepleagues.com. He's here, on a regular basis now, to tell it like it is, and I'm going to ask him everything from his feelings on the Blue Jays' first half, and what to expect now in the second, as well as how to recapture that 2015 magical feeling. Stick around, he's not going to mince words. And finally on the show, we've got Hayden Godfrey, one of my new favorite writers at thejaysjournal.com, who's quickly becoming a fan favorite because he also is someone who doesn't mince words, and... We're going to sit down to see how he feels about the Blue Jays team with their terrible record and a horrible, horrible run differential and how disappointed he really was in the first three months of the season. Nevertheless, let's get rolling and and start talking with April to get her perspective. And, And I started by asking her the question right off the hop, how she felt about the way the current Blue Jays leadership group is connecting with the fans during what is clearly a bitterly disappointing season.
1: Obviously, it's really tough. Uh, as you know, You know, I spent the latter half of 2016 and 2017 working for the club and learning from, from Mark and Andrew and Sebastian Gattaca that are all people that are, are helping lead that path in marketing. Um, but I, I would have to agree. This year has been tough and, and obviously it's hard no matter what when you have a losing season. Trust me, my... 2016 season was much more fun behind the keyboard than 2017 ever was. Um, what's the the toughest thing is that I know internally that everybody in marketing, everybody in digital, everybody in partnership does care about the fans. And so I think the hardest part about all of this, seeing it from now an outside perspective is feeling that they are not totally as connected as I thought they were. Um, you know, we would have monthly meetings, and, and they would reiterate time and time again, the fans are incredibly important. That was always number one. You know, when when I left the Jays, the, the message that I wrote to to people on Twitter was, don't worry, despite me not being there, you have a team that that, that puts the fans first. And I still think that's the m- mantra that they respect and go to, but it, it's been a tough season. So, you know, a, a clear example. Um, let's even talk about the All Star game. My favorite experience working for the Jays was the Justin Smoke campaign. If I had to hang my hat on anything, um, it was it was that whole campaign. We were we we're trying to put as many tweets. We had the whole marketing digital partnership. Everybody was working together. Um, and it was fun, and we were engaging with the fans, and the fans were engaging with us, and people were wearing the T-shirts. And did everybody who got votes deserve to be in the Oscar game? Probably not. I mean, Donaldson was so close to making it, and he was on the DL. Like, but yet, smoke crushed it. And the thing that I love about both Twitter and, and just social media is how incredible Blue Jays the Blue Jays fan base is. And I lived it, I breathed it, I was that diehard fan. Everybody online helps me get my gig with the with and Major League Baseball. I lived it, I breathed it, I came back and sure enough I someday get the you know, an opportunity you only dream of as a kid. You know, some people want to play, I couldn't hit a fastball for it to save my life. And so did get the dream job for me to be that person on the other side running emails, running digital, running social, running everything behind the scenes. And and just uh, it was just eye opening how positive and how great the fan base is. So to go back to your question after that little bit of a ramble Our fan base or their fan base or the fan base is so passionate, which is good and bad. The passion can also be negative, but so be it, they should be. But they're so passionate that I really think the team can do a little bit of a better job in really igniting that passion. There are things that are great about the season that we haven't really, as fans, had a chance to really experience. I think in ways We could have given another campaign to smoke or we could have given another campaign to guys just because, because that's, that's, that's just what fans want to do. They want to support their team. The reality is that some players may be embarrassed. The reality is it's been a really tough season. So I understand, you know, you don't want to shed too much light on a negative situation, but the fans want to be engaged. And so, you know, one last thing I'll say about the fans is that, you know, I was very, very fortunate being, you know, on Twitter for longer than I'd like to admit. And we had built this solid core of like six or eight people that were on Twitter tweeting about the Blue Jays. It was like, we're talking about like 2008, 2009, like the beginning years of Twitter. And because we had developed that core back then, the Blue Jays was, I was very blessed. They, they, they soon figured out who I was and, You know, they would tweet me, and I would tweet them. And, like, that two-way communication existed for me. But all of my friends, probably yourself, probably billions of others, there was no two-way communication. And so when I came to the organization and went through the interview process, I I was frank. I said, I am a fan. I'm not going to fangirl. I'm not going to care about this or that. But the one thing I'm going to hang my hat on Creating a better communication system with the fans. And I will say that is something, the most important thing on social media is consistency. And I will say that the team that is there and the people that have replaced me have done a good job continuing to engage with tweets. I do find it's always often, we do have influencers or even passionate fans that get responded to more than others. That may be a fact, but that two-way communication still exists. And so I will say at least that's a good thing.
0: So in some ways, we have to ask ourselves the question how modernized this Blue Jays front office team is when it comes to knowing how to appeal to fans young and old. As April mentioned, demographics are key, and I, I pressed her in terms of understanding what do they need to do differently in order to be effective given the circumstances.
1: I mean, again, I've seen a little bit more behind the scenes, so I do know that they do a lot of research into understanding their target audiences, not just audience. They know, you know, which demographic is coming to which game approximately. They know which demographics are on which platform approximately. Obviously, there's outliers. Um, And so I'm just not sure. While they've done a really good job identifying it, they've used a variety of different ways to do so. I'm not entirely certain they're now using that information for the betterment of the fan. So... Mm -hmm. It's hard to say. Again, it's the it's the case in point of like, there's always the fear in digital and marketing of being too safe, or, you know, sometimes you take a chance and it and it and it doesn't work. And I almost don't mind that, but then it's those times. You know, recently I've been going through the the Blue Jays Twitter feed, and sometimes now we're responding to what I'm sure the internet calls trolls. And it's tough. It's like, good, good, fight, protect your brand. But at the same time, it's like, okay, if you're going to do that, let's stay consistent with it. So there does seem to be this, like, the Facebook watch thing. <sighs> again, knowing what I know, it's 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 every Major League Baseball team is benefiting from a partnership that Major League Baseball has created. Um, I don't, again, I don't want to, like, say too much, but like Major League Baseball has identified a variety of partnerships all across baseball. We're kind of lucky, as the Blue Jays, so they, not we, I have to stop saying that, don't I? They are, <laughs> as an organization, as a fan base, we're a little bit luckier in that our partnerships, because the partnerships Major League Baseball has made, our partnerships, because some of those organizations aren't in Canada, our partnerships are unique to the Blue Jays. For instance, Papa John's big PR scandal recently. You'll notice every team tweeted today or recently that they're no longer with a partnership with them. The Blue Jays didn't have to do that because we are one of the only few teams that didn't have that partnership. Now, because of this, there's a couple things that happen. You know, the Sonnet Insurance, they, they work diligently to try to figure out their brand, their messaging, and one that will resonate with the fans. That works really well to be able to develop those partnerships. Connett does the same. TD does the same. I still think we could be doing even more there. If the Blue Jays don't want to continue to play it a little bit safer, let's see if our partners or their partners can try to push those boundaries a bit to really engage the fans. You do see it a bit with, like, the Sanchez videos with Sonnet or, or even with WestJet, but... Um, yeah, I mean to answer your question, it's just it's just tough. Like some of the things are out of their control, um, because they're getting a bunch of revenue dollars and taking advantage of those revenue dollars. by just throwing a Wednesday game or a Wednesday afternoon game on there, the, the tougher thing as the fans is that you know Sportsnet's like, oh, sorry guys, it's oh it's not on us. You know, nothing we can do. But meanwhile, their owner is the one that agreed to it, and meaning Rogers. So. It's just confusing to like that makes the fans really agitated, and obviously, people don't like change. So, um, I I respect the fact that Major League Baseball as a whole is trying to find a new way to engage fans. Facebook isn't the most craziest idea, it's the fact that it's only on Facebook, the exclusivity of it all. Like, there's a bunch of games that are on Twitter, and maybe we could put a bunch of games on, you know, IGTV when it comes. More, more stream. You know, there, there's probably ways that we can try to engage fans better, but the exclusivity of it is where the problem lies. Again, if I want to watch a game on Twitter. I will, but I have MLB TV for a reason to watch the 162 games, not 159 this year because three were on Facebook Watch.
0: Finally, it came down to a really simple and elegant question, which I was extremely hopeful that April could tackle in a way that. Maybe even if the Blue Jays' leadership happened to be listening to the show, they might stop and think, hmm, I asked her, if she were in charge, what would she do to make sure the Blue Jays' ship was steered in the right direction?
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> should they hire me back for me to answer this? No. Um, you know, in all honesty, it's just continuing to build the brand. Um, I've, heard, I've still got a lot of friends uh, within the organization, and they've hired... A few people to replace my role and some other roles that were that were changed, and I've heard nothing but great things. You know, they're trying to do new things with GIFs. They're trying to be more timely. Um, one thing I do respect is they're not just jumping in on trending topics to jump in on trending topics. That's probably one of my biggest pet peeves in the sports world is just, oh, you know, uh, I hopped at this thing. We better jump on it just because everybody else in the whole world is. But you know, in all honesty, it's. It's it's matching the voice of the fan, and I think you know it's, that's a lot easier to be done um, in in a winning season. So, like you said, it's, we're going to go through a transition, and again, you want to be consistent. But there are some teams that are just like, well, you know, this game's not for us. But good thing that we've got Guerrero, come, you know, whatever whatever the verbiage is. But I think the most important thing is to be able to. And to be able to mirror the fan and understand the fan' it, it, that's exactly it you have to you have to be constantly listening and you know again, I've seen behind the scenes, and they are listening, they are taking notes on everything and anything said, even when it seems like they're not. but I think there has to be more response to that and again, and I know there's probably a variety of reasons, and having not been there this year, I don't know all of them, but the one thing that has driven me nuts. Is the Roberto lucina thing, and if it's mm-hmm. if you're gonna be listening to your fans and right now your fans are devastated uh, and that's really what it is it's how could somebody I respect do that you know for a fan, it's do that to me you've you ruined it you've ruined um the opportunity for our team to close the game in the ninth, you've ruined kind of our brand by ruining your brand, and you know again, I'm all for second chances, but there's few things that I don't don't know if they deserve. And again, whether that's the, the feminist in me or just the person in me, I'm not entirely certain, but that seems almost like, like Atkins, like, like he's such a great person and it's unfortunate that people don't see that from, um, from the outside world and not internal, but, you know, there almost seems like a disconnect and, The communications team that works there does seem to be really up and and trying to put the perfect verbiage, but yet they're continuing to reiterate that we just want things to go back to normal when things can't go back to normal. And, and, you know, maybe things died down and passed. There's, you know, there's a lot of realities to baseball players, a lot of stuff that fans never hear about. But nothing like this. Like, this to me is like fans have a reason to feel betrayed a little bit. And it's it's not like, you know, I can't even give another example. This is a serious thing. And it, it almost feels like whether it's to ensure that the the trade can still happen, you know, well, you know, is it for trade? Or is it just that they don't fully understand how upset the fans are? Don't get me wrong. Not every fan is upset, and that's their own prerogative but the fans that that are my friends and that are on twitter and that are on various social media channels and are just fans of the game seem to think that things can't just go back to normal as much as you and i and everybody else wishes it could so again to to recap my rant it's it's to listen and take action and i know that you know, almost a cop-out, but there really is no easy fix. It's being consistent. Obviously, you have to be consistent in marketing and digital. You have to figure out your voice. And, you know, we kind of had a voice, and that voice is still there. Like, the people that are running the accounts, they're still trying to make fun of themselves a little bit, still trying to find new ways to say the same thing over and over again. And thank goodness they don't have to do a promotion called Clean Inning, even when we're losing 13 nothing. Um, but there's still a bit more we can do. There's still more, and, and again, there's still more listening to the fans and and reacting. You know, you want to be as proactive as you can, but it is an industry where you need to be reactive. So
0: that was April Weitzman, formerly with the Toronto Blue Jays, and one of my new favorite guests to the show. When podcasting from my den, I could think of nothing better than to introduce listeners to what i like to call Five Minutes with Falbo. That's Jeff Falbo, formerly of deepleagues.com, brilliant baseball mind, messy eater. Jeff, what is going on? What's on your mind?
2: Uh, Ari, uh, in preparation for this show, I thought I'd look at the numbers, look at the stats of the Blue Jays and try and grasp some hope Mm. but uh i'm sorry there is no hope (laughs) Mm. i'm looking at these numbers and the offensive numbers are pathetic i mean outside of power uh the rest of the numbers stink we're in the bottom third of every category no hitter is meeting expectations or even exceeding expectations i mean you could say Luke Miley is meeting expectations, but, uh, I mean, it's it's sad. And now we look at these Blue Jays pitchers. I'm looking at the pitching numbers, and they're just as worse, Ari. I mean, everyone now is talking Stroman, 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 but I'm looking at the two franchise cornerstones, and uh, which are Stroman and Sanchez. And i, I got to tell you, Ari, I, I think their window is closing for the Jays. You look at their numbers, and their numbers are pathetic. They are inconsistent. How long are we going to hold on to these guys? Because the window is closing. We were supposed to get these guys. Right now is their prime, and they're not pitching like their prime right now. Yeah. They're, you know, you you have controllability for. A small window, and at that time is when you add other assets to fill your team, and I'm looking at Stroman and Sanchez, and right now, we still don't know what they are. You know what this reminds me of, Ari? This reminds me in the mid-to-late 90s when the Jays had a tandem of Roy Halladay and Chris Carpenter. Chris Carpenter was inconsistent, and after his five, six years of controllability, he got severely injured, and the Jays says, you know what? We don't want to hold on to this guy anymore. And what does he do? He goes off to the National League only to become a Cy Young uh, pitcher and an elite pitcher. But, I mean, you look at these two pitchers and you say, okay, when is it going to happen? We said at the beginning of the year, Ari, don't worry. The Jays have pitching. Don't worry. The hitting, even if it's average, the Jays have the best pitching in the American League. They have the best pitching in the American League East, for that matter. You know what, Ari? I would trade our pitching staff for anyone in the American League East. And that includes Baltimore. Like, that's how bad the Jays pitching is right now. Wow. You don't have a starter under four ERA. Sanchez is 25, turning 26. Stroman is 27. This is their prime. And we're not getting prime. We're getting crap.
0: So what's going to happen now for the remainder of the season? I mean, really, just judging from what you've said, why would a Blue Jays fan tune in? Is it because of Baruki? Is it because of Gavilli? Is there, is there something? I mean, you laugh at it, but I'm wondering, how do you look at these prospects? Do you think the Blue Jays are in decent shape, at least moving forward? Because if you take out Sanchez and Stroman, what are you really left with when it comes to pitching resources?
2: Oh, Ari, Ari, Ari. Uh, I look at the mass... Okay. Everyone says I wouldn't trade that 2015 feeling for the world because it was the best feeling. Well, you know what? I look at our farm system and there's nothing we can hang our hat on as far as pitching right now. It's all been traded away. What we have left isn't develop. It's developing, but not in a star, not in a star fashion. Not, oh, we can hang our hat. This guy is going to be our next ace. We don't have it in our system. It's been traded away for that specific season, you and I have talked. AA did a lot of great. Uh, Alex Anthopoulos did a lot of great things for our franchise. You know, he brought us to the playoffs, but he also traded all of our pitching assets away, and now we're paying for it. And unfortunately, Ari, it might be 2025 before we see anything coming through the system where we can say that is our ace. I mean, I'm being conservative saying 2025, which is 10 years. But let's face it, we've seen twenty-year droughts with this franchise. I'm going to be retired in twenty thirty-five. So, like, <laughs> how long am I going to wait? I've seen this roller coaster before, where they say, "Don't worry, the kids are coming." The kids are coming. But I've also seen that merry-go-round as well, when they said, "Don't worry, Sean Green and Carlos Delgado are coming." You know what? I am. Not optimistic for the second half of the season, and I think there is a lot of pain to come.
0: The cold, hard truth. Jeff Falbo, this has been 5 Minutes with Falbo. Now let's move on to one of my favorite writers at TheJaysJournal.com, and he's quickly becoming a favorite of a lot of people because I just love his work. I want to welcome Hayden Godfrey to the show, and Hayden, Let's start by talking about a real simple and elegant question. How are we supposed to feel as fans with a Blue Jays team that had this kind of terrible first half record and run differential? How disappointed were you personally in the first half of the twenty eighteen Toronto Blue Jays season?
3: I I'm very disappointed. I, I'll be I'll be very honest with that. I did think, as as you previously mentioned, you know, I predicted them to be rather competitive and, and some of it I truly believe, can be attributed to a sort of controllability factor. I mean, they've had some underwhelming performances from some key cogs in their lineup. I mean, Devin Travis had a minor stint. Randall Gritchick had a minor stint. I mean, these guys, they were expecting them to be key cogs in their lineup, and they just weren't right out of the gate, and they lost a lot of productive at-bats in some of those key cogs. Um, because of that there were also some some unpredictable things they had a lot of freak injuries I mean Aaron Sanchez has not really pitched completely healthy at least that's the impression that I'm getting Um, Marcus Stroman as well I mean Estrada's sort of been up and down there's been a lot of these these freak injuries that have happened that are really out of their control so in a sense um, it is rather sort of it just is what it is, but at the same time there is a, a definite level of disappointment, especially with the fact that I you know, I believe they made a lot of really, really smart under the radar moves, mainly uh Jan Hervis Solarte, Curtis Granderson, miss Diaz. I expect them to be rather competitive and, and in that I am I am certainly disappointed, but at the same time, not overly surprised, just given the way that they've been playing over the past month or two, ever since uh that April, in which I believe they went fifteen and ten. It's been really downhill from there. So, I, you know, while I am disappointed, I think I am not completely shocked in a way. You
0: had some really great articles early in the season talking about those uh, depth acquisitions, right? I guess you and I mm-hmm. called them retreads. I like calling them reclamation projects because it sounds sexy on the radio. <laughs> but I can tell you that uh, regardless of how well they've done, and, and really... They've been some shrewd signings. I don't think Blue Jays fans were disappointed necessarily with the quality of all these little moves. Obviously, everyone wanted the big move, and you know, hindsight being what it is, Lorenzo Cain would have looked lovely in a Blue Jays uniform. But considering what they've received in terms of the contributions from these so-called depth acquisitions, how surprised are you that from a reliance on the starters, the Tulewitzkis, the Donaldsons, the Travises, the Martins of the world, we're really talking about negative wins above replacement at this stage. How, how shocking is that for a Blue Jays fan to appreciate that the frontline guys who make the most amount of money were literally not heard from in the first half of this
3: baseball season? It is, it is shocking. As you mentioned, I think that's a perfect way to put it. I mean, this team right now is looking towards Jan Hervis Solarte as a middle-of-the-order bat. And not that Jan Hervis Solarte, my absolute favorite dancing Venezuelan does not have the ability to be a middle of the order bat. That's just not what he was acquired to do. Um, and I think we're seeing the same things with guys like Teoscar Hernandez and his young career is being counted on as being this middle of the order bat. Um, and, and that is something that, as you mentioned with the Martins and with the Tulewitzkis and the Donaldson's, that's a product of what has happened is that they're relying on some of these more, you know, as you mentioned, reclamation projects. I really like that. Um, I am shocked. I'm very disappointed in Russell Martin. I'm very disappointed. My heart aches for Troy Tulewitzki because I really, really would have loved to see him play. I'm sure he would have loved to be with this team and help them win as much as they can. And I, and uh, the whole Josh Donaldson thing has been, has been tragic. I mean, it really has. He wanted to get out there for his contract year, get out there to potentially boost his trade value. I always looked at him as a trade project at the deadline, but yeah, it is, it is rather shocking that when we look at the, you know, the guys that are getting the most at bats on this team, we're looking at Kevin Pillar, Jan Hervis Solarte, Justin Smoke. We're not looking at Russell Martin, Josh Donaldson, or Troy Tulowitzki. Which
0: is especially shocking, considering that by the end of 2015, when all was said and done, Blue Jays fans were ready for what was hopefully a large window of opportunity to try to win a championship, which almost now seems absolutely ludicrous, I think you'll agree, considering the state of these assets that were acquired. And... I'm not going to throw us into an anthopolis debate as to whether he should or should not have made certain trades, but how much responsibility does this current Blue Jays administration, you know, Hayden, in politics we talk about what Bush was responsible for versus Obama, or Obama versus Trump. In baseball terms, at what point do you feel that A greater responsibility now rests on the current regime rather than what maybe the old one had done. Did we already reach that tipping point? Are we still getting there? Or are you maybe of the camp like I am that this organization needs to take some serious responsibility for what's been a real lack of development leadership?
3: That's a really, really enigmatic question in a lot of ways. And I think it's a question that is on the minds of many Blue Jays fans, including myself. It's it's interesting. I mean, I, like everyone, everybody else, uh, am a huge fan of what Alex Antopoulos did, brought postseason baseball back to Toronto. But at the same time, he did acquire an albatross contract in Troy Tulewitzki, the Russell Martin deal, even at the time I was a little skeptical about. Um, at the same time, I will agree that the front office has to sort of stop making excuses as to, you know, this is a product of the past regime. And they do, as you mentioned, sort of have to take matters into their own hands. Um, Granted, a lot of that still is with the Troy Tulowitzki contract, with the Russell Martin contract. But I think at this point, the front office does have to sort of count their losses with, with, with the organization that they inherited and sort of try and make it their own. Um, I I have been quite pleased with the way that the front office has handled those assets that they've been handed, maybe not completely favorable assets, um, but I do believe that it is time for them to take matters into their own hands. And I'm very optimistic about what the what the new regime can do. I'm a massive fan, contrary to what a lot of fans seem to be. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Mark Power and Ross Atkins. I've, saw, I've seen what they did in Cleveland and building up an amateur scouting. Their Latin American scouting has been fantastic. But yeah, I do think in the next two, three months after we see possibly Donaldson leave, um, maybe there'll be a move for Morales or Martin imminent. I think they really do have to start making this their organization and stop... Trying to either fix or trying to adjust or work around the moves of the previous regime. So
0: then, give me your projection of what is effectively going to be about seventy to seventy-five games of meaningless baseball. Is it really going to be meaningless? Do you think, given that you're someone who believes in Mark Shapiro and what he's done in his previous uh, role as as the the leader of all? The Cleveland Renaissance. You know, he he was he was uh, quite an important factor in that franchise being brought back into the light. Even though some people people would argue now they're back in darkness because fans are fickle and they're not showing up as much. But if you look at the Blue Jays second half now, give me your kind of Hayden Godfrey official projection of some of the things you think Mark Shapiro will do that might restore some faith for Blue Jays fans who, for the most part, are at their lowest.
3: Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I do believe that the games will be meaningless to the standings, but not meaningless to the fans and the organization. I mean, I, I, I don't think it, it'll come as a surprise to anybody when I say that this team is not going to make the playoffs. They're not, you know, they're not going to be competitive in September and the attendance will be down. But at the same time, if you're a, a, a Blue Jays fan, if you're somebody who's optimistic about the future, I really believe that Mark Shapiro is going to test out a lot of his assets that are not necessarily sort of hamstrung by service time. And, then I, and in that, I mean, I, I think Dwight Smith Jr. is going to get a lot more time. I think Lourdes Goriel Jr., we're already seeing him getting a lot more time. I think Teoscar Hernandez is going to get a lot more time. I think Danny Jensen might be sort of uh, coming up very soon. There could be a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. promotion. I'm not going to give my opinion on that because we don't have about three hours for me to ramble on about that. But I I do think that this administration, given that they understand the season is sort of a lost cause in terms of making the playoffs, are going to do their absolute best to test out some of their assets that they know will be a part of their future, and even some of the assets that they don't know will be a part of the future. I mean, I've been constantly fascinated by the Sam Gaviglio story and how he's just sort of come in and been really sort of effective in a spot start role. I think he'll get regular starts as a member of this rotation. Brian Barucki is another one. These guys that maybe they weren't sure what they were going to get— they're going to move into, I believe, more stable roles so that the administration can really say, this is what this guy has done over 75 games. And from there, those will serve as the complementary or not so complementary pieces to the Vladimir Guerreros, the Bobochettes, and the Command Bigios moving forward.
0: Well, listen, I certainly like the way you've set it all out as being something where exposure ref- will finally be given where it's due. I think if you ask the average Blue Jays fan, would you put up with 60 or 70 games of watching Anthony Alford, Ryan Barucky, Danny Jansen? Uh, there's no question. Fans are willing to keep an open mind if there's a reason for it to be something compelling and something worthwhile. And that's what these young players presumably will do, is give give fans a sense of hope. But but you know, Hayden, you know how fickle baseball is. And, and even when you're when you're doubling down and, and hoping that your best prospect is your best prospect, and we have no doubt Guerrero will succeed, I think a lot of these other players will be question marks until they're able to prove something. So you're right. Why not give them a chance to get out there on a regular basis? Let's see what they can do. Why do we need to see more Kendris Morales or Aledmus Diaz at bats? Really, at this stage, it's all academic. I mean, Diaz might still be a useful utility part, but really, by 2019, what percentage of this team would you like to see as a fresh new roster versus whatever parts still remain on what's been a shambolic, gruesome disaster of of a baseball club?
3: I really, really would only, I could count on one hand the amount of players that I would seriously like to see as a part of this baseball team next year. I mean, I know the starting rotation is going to look very different. Jay Happ is very, very likely going to be dealt. Marco Estrada, the same thing. Um, A lot of the aging core, uh, Martin, Donaldson, Tulewitzki, and Morales, I, I would not be sad to see them go as much as they do have sort of, especially Martin and Donaldson, a sort of, happy nostalgia with this club. I think the only position players that I would like to see on this roster next year are Teoscar Hernandez and Janjerovis Solarte, and possibly Justin Smoke if they don't feel like they have any better first base options. I think, as you mentioned, Oled Diaz could be a good bench piece, um, but I don't think that fans are going to put up with another season of Kendry's Morales at-bats. It's very frustrating. And, and it's not just Morales himself. It's the fact that Guerrero is down there slugging. It's the fact that Biggio is down there slugging. It's the fact that, you know, even you look at some minor pieces in AAA that fans might not even be aware of are doing quite well and are doing, in some fans' eyes, better than Morales would be able to do. Um, I think the relief corps is going to look completely different, and that's not sort of shining my own opinion on it. I think that's sort of the objective facts is that they're going to be dealing a lot of their relief arms. But I would really hope... That this team looks very different next year, not specifically as a result of, as you mentioned, the gruesome performance this year, but just sort of, I believe there really needs to be a changing of the guard uh, on the roster for this team to be successful going forward.
0: Hayden, always a pleasure having you drop in to chat baseball, even if this one was a, perhaps more of a of the cynical variety. But you <laughs> seem to you, you seem to have converted it into some into some form of of optimism, at least for me. I agree with you there's an opportunity for this administration to show some leadership. And I think that's all fans want at this stage in the game is for Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins to really start acting, as you described, uh, as though they own it, as though finally it's theirs, that there isn't this leftover element or vestige of the Anthopolis era, which just muddies the water. Because at the end of the day, I'm not going to write off anyone if they don't have an opportunity to do what they're supposed to do unhindered in baseball. And he certainly... And the kind of uh, controversial figure now that many people feel like it's time to put up or shut up, And if you're going to say something, try not to use too much corporate speak because we can't understand it anyway. <laughs> we're, stu- we're still trying to figure out what contend <laughs> and rebuild really means, right? So, Hayden, always a pleasure. Hayden Godfrey, you can find him on Twitter at Hayden Godfrey, that's double Y. And he is one of our most prodigious and successful writers at the Jay's Journal. Thanks for coming on the line.
3: Thank you very much, Brad Mirari. Lovely to speak to you as always.